0: Is
1: real. Power in your name. We
0: the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death for sin, taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment, holy and just and good. See, really what this teaches us is that the law shows our absolute need for Jesus.
1: The law of Moses was meant to be a guide for living as a child of God, set apart from the world you live in. It also serves now to show you how sinful your heart truly is. There's no way you can follow every law all the time, and the restrictions it places on you, though beneficial at times, can lead to temptation and sin. Pastor Daniel today reminds you that the only way to be free from the guilt the law places on you is to live under the grace of Jesus now, here's Pastor Daniel in Romans chapter 7, as he continues his message, Totally Free. Jesus is
0: in the midst of God's prohibition, and now just a little bit of encouragement, now all of a sudden, they're on a collision course with Rebellion. I mean, it would be wonderful to say that that was only true of Adam and Eve, but I live in the real world that you and I live in. It'd be like if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, okay, listen, no more bacon cheeseburgers for you. And then you come to Crossroads. And the Secret Sauce series videos goes, and before you know it, they're putting the oil on the grill and the meat's going down. And right as they're serving it, you know, all of us, like, I'm not allowed to eat that, thank you very much. Right? Because then it becomes a question of the will. And the problem for all of us is that we all are tempted. We all have these desires. And in the moment we have the capacity to choose what we want as opposed to what God would have for us. And that's how the law functions. The law reveals to us the passions and desires for rebellion in our heart. Can we all just be honest that left at their own devices, the idea of rebelling and doing our own thing as opposed to God's thing is very enticing. Isn't that the truth? You don't think about yourself in that way, but that's exactly what it is. That God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And then left at their own devices. We're like, we want to do our own thing. And even right now, can we just be super honest? There are many of us right now, you know what God's word says. You know what it means. You know that God isn't like like playing silly with his word. Like, I'll tell you to do this. I'm telling you no, but I really mean yes. It's none of that, right? You know what it says, but when those desires come up, even though there's the prohibition there, you're like, man, I'm totally doing that right now. It's like we always want to say, Lord, you know, not my will, but yours be done. But we maybe should say, Lord, you know that I shouldn't do this, but I want to do it. I'm going to do it again tomorrow. Will you help me? And Paul is saying here, he's saying, listen, the problem for us is that we have these passions, right? We have these desires, and then we have the revealed purpose and plan of God. And because we have these revealed purpose and plan of God, now all of a sudden... A decision has to be made. And really what he says is that either way we bear fruit, whether we bear good fruit or bad fruit, whether we bear corrupt fruit that leads to death, or whether we bear new or good fruit that leads to life. I mean, look at what it says by the end of verse five. Our sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit to death but now you have been delivered from the law, having died to what you were held by, that so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So here's the thing. No matter how you live, no matter what decisions and no matter what drives your decisions, there is fruit that's going to be born. Now, don't miss the analogy. He was using this idea of being married, right? And so you were married to the law And when people are married, then offspring happen, right? Now, again, back in the day, they didn't have the different technologies that we have to maybe delay offspring from coming and all that stuff. But in that culture, when two people got married, there was going to be offspring. And really what he's saying now is that when a person is married to living under the law, according to the law, right, the offspring of that is death. That union leads to offspring, which is death. But he's saying, but actually when you die to the law through the death of Jesus and you're raised again, a resurrected life in Christ. Now, all of a sudden, you are not married to the law. You're married to God. You're married to Jesus and you're married to grace. And now all of a sudden the fruit is not death, but it's life because we're new in the spirit. So the question really becomes for you and I is what kind of fruit is being born in our life right now? Now, I realize that when it comes to bearing fruit, let's just listen to Jesus for a second here. In John chapter 15 verses 4 and 5, and then also in verse 8, it says, Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches and he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so you will be my disciples. So what God is interested in is that you and I bear fruit. Now, as it relates to fruit bearing, you realize that fruit is always born in its season, right? Like, you can't force fruit to be born before the time for that to happen, but Really, what Jesus is saying is that unless you abide in him, just as if you have, uh, if you planted a fruit tree in your backyard, let's say, right, if you cut the branches off, no matter how much you go to that branch, hoping that there's going to be fruit on it, there never will. Why? Because the branch has no life in itself. The branch derives its life, by being connected to the trunk, which has roots into the ground. And really what Jesus is saying is the only way for you and I to bear fruit that glorifies God is to be connected, abiding in Jesus. In a sense, you know, because we were talking about offspring, the idea is that God wants us to be so attached to Christ that we are almost umbilically connected. That the think about the umbilical cord, the nourishment of the mother now nourishes the child. Really, Jesus who is our life and the spirit who cultivates life, life as we are connected to Jesus, we are umbilically connected. We are nourished by Jesus. And when that happens, now we bear fruit. But the thing is, is that if we do not abide in Christ, then we're never gonna bear fruit. Now, here's the thing. Each one of us is responsible to cultivate this reality in our life. These are knobs on our side of the wall. Are you abiding in Christ? Now, here's the thing. I already said that fruit gets born in its season, right? Now, if you're abiding in Christ, then that fruit will come in God's timing, right? So our job is not to make the fruit come. Like I've never gone by a fruit tree and I hear it going, bear fruit, bear fruit, push out a grape or whatever. I don't know, you know? You just, it's there and then it happens, right? And so the idea is if you're looking at your life, you're like, actually, there's I don't have fruit right now. The question is, is am I abiding in Jesus? And if you're like, as far as I know I am, then guess what? Just hang in there because that fruit's going to come. But if you're looking at your life and you're not seeing fruit, you have to ask yourself, am I abiding in Jesus? And if you say no, then you have to say, God, will you teach me how to abide in you right now? Because unlike a branch on a tree, you and I get to choose if we're going to abide or not. The branch either is on the tree or it's not on the tree, right? Like when we have a windstorm here in Southwest Washington, right? You have to go in your backyard, and there's all these branches everywhere, right? The branches is either on the tree or off the tree. But you, you get to choose if you want to abide in Christ or not. And we want to be able to say, as far as I understand, I'm abiding in Jesus. As far as I, now, listen, I realize we're all in process, so I, I know that when... That life has a tendency, we get involved in things and we're like, man, I shouldn't do that, but I'm still kind of doing that. And that's an area that if you want to bear fruit, those are things that are hindering the fruit that God wants to to bear in your life. Those are things that are holding you back from that. So I always say, when I'm looking at my life and I'm saying, you know, I don't really sense that I'm bearing fruit. I'm always going to say, is there something going on? Is there unbelief? Is there sin? Is there this? Is there that? Is there other things going on? Because the Bible wants us, as we read the word and as we walk in the spirit, we want to be able to let the word of God illuminate things in our lives. I mean, you see that. The apostle Peter, as an apostle, was called out by the apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians. So if Peter, who preached on the day of Pentecost, and was involved in all these amazing things, and saw Jesus resurrected, if he can stumble back into a lifestyle of rebellion, so can I, and so can you. So we want to say, Lord, is there any, Holy Spirit, search my heart and know me. Is there any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting? The Bible also encourages us to look at the fruit of other people's lives, not to judge them, but to inspect the fruit. And oftentimes, we want to do that because we want to make sure, am I getting good information from somebody who I'm like, hey, that person really knows the Lord. Unfortunately, too often, we, people get stumbled because they get information from people whose lives are not bearing fruit and you shouldn't actually follow their opinion. I remember when I was in the Bay Area, I was planning churches, and I remember there was a guy who had—I was working for uh, an investor, very you know, uh, a super successful investor, and there was all these. There was always these people who would uh, want to do business with this investor, and so I would get to sit in on these meetings. And I it used to make me laugh because the investor would always ask these portfolio managers, financial planners, investors, they would always say, "Well, let me see your portfolio," and they would always get super uncomfortable. Now, Obviously, it's kind of an unethical question. He's like, "Well, if I need to see if you can make money with your own money before I give you mine." And I remember listening. I'm like, "That's actually super wise, you know." Because really, what he's saying is that if you, why should I give you my money? I gotta see what you've done with yours, you know. And and anyone who was actually good at what they did was able to say, well, look, I can't show you my portfolio without, but I could show you what we've done as an investment portfolio. This is what we've done. This is our history and all that stuff. And I thought it was super wise because what he's doing is he's checking the fruit of some of what someone's talking about. Right. And so we want to learn and make sure we're getting good information from good sources. So we want to be able to discern the fruit of what's in someone's life. But you know what the thing that's so cool about all of this for me? It says that we want to serve in the newness of the spirit. We want to be new in the spirit, but not in the oldness of the letter. Now, what I think is fascinating about this phrase is that if you've been born again, you can still choose to live in the oldness of the letter, right? It's like sometimes it's like maybe like when you get married, right? Although you're married, you still f- forget that you're married and you live in some ways like somebody who isn't married. Like I remember when Lynn and I got married, I remember I used to always uh, make myself breakfast. I mean, I was a single guy and I like to eat. So I, I made myself breakfast. And I remember when I got married. I remember after we'd been married for a couple of days, I made myself breakfast. I didn't ask Lynn if she wanted breakfast. Right? And she's like, oh, you made breakfast? Then I'm like, yeah. And she's like, do you make any for me? I'm like, No, I'm sorry, right? Because even though I was married, I was acting like I wasn't, right? At the very least, I should have said, hey, sweetie, I'm making some breakfast. You want some, right? And in the same way, you could be born again. You could be dead to the law, but you could still be living in the law. And really what Jesus does is when we put our faith and trust in him is that Jesus frees us up to live a different way. What has God freed you to do. I want you to pull out a pen and I want you to write down three things that God has freed you to do. Now, oftentimes, the things that God has freed you to do, these are things that you're not doing right now, but you know you ought to be because God's freed you up. That, and a lot of times, the things that he's inviting you into are actually things that you have to say goodbye to something else first. Go ahead. I want you to write them down. Don't make them too complicated either. So I'm not like, well, what has God freed me to do? But it's like, there's a lot of things. God has freed you to praise him. He's freed you to praise, freed you to serve other people. He's freed you to forgive. I want you to write some of these things down, things that are important for you, because we always say here, we don't want to just hear the word of God. We want to simply respond to Jesus. We don't just want to hear another scripture teaching, but we want to say, how does this bear on my life? Because you've been dead to the oldness of the letter, but you've been made new in the spirit. Maybe God has freed you to be generous. Maybe God has freed you to be joyful. Maybe God has freed you to help in a unique area of this world. I want you to to write them down. Because in a lot of ways, what this is about for us is this is about us I love writing things down because it's one thing for it to be kicking around in my head and it's another thing for me to write it down. I know when I'm journaling and I write something down that I need to work on, it's almost like it becomes real when I write it down. right? It's like it's there on the paper. I have to look at it. So I want you to write those things down. God has freed me to this. Because oftentimes what happens is is we spend so much of our life outside of Christ We get so used to living life outside of Christ that we forget that because we've been freed in the newness of the spirit, God wants to give us a new life and that new life is lived differently than the way that we've lived before. It's a new way of being. So I want you to write those things down. This is for you to be able to put in your Bible, to be able to look at, put it on the dashboard of your car or on your bathroom mirror and say, this is what God has freed me to do. This is who he's freed me to be. This is who, because of the finished work of Jesus, I am allowed to walk in. The Spirit inspires me to walk in these ways. We have been made new in the Spirit. Now, continuing on in this chapter, it says this in verse seven, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law for what I have not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. See, really what this teaches us is that The law shows our absolute need for Jesus. See, the law shows our need for Jesus. I'm going to unpack how this works here. But really what Paul says, he's like, so is the law sin? If the law arouses my sinful passions, because it draws that line in the sand, is the law sin? He's like, no, the law isn't sin. And then he unpacks it. And I've already kind of explained it to us. He says, I would not have known sin except through the law. So really what happens is, first it begins like, we wouldn't know what sin was unless the law tells us. So if you look at the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, it begins with, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me, right? And then you shall worship God in God's prescribed way. Don't make any carved images, right? And then it says, don't take God's name in vain, right? So don't malign God's nature, not only with speech, but with the way that we live. And then the fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath day, right? Now, what's amazing is, is in all four of those things, don't you realize how messed up we all are in all four of those things? Like, you look at your history, you're like, okay, if I had other gods before the true and living God, you might say, well, not right now, but used to big time, right? Did I ever worship the true God in a false way? Ah, absolutely. Have I ever taken God's name in vain? Now, most people just want to make that words, But really, the name denotes in the Bible the nature. So it's anytime we live not in accordance with God's nature, we take God's name in vain. Ouch, right? That's like a big ouch. And then, of course, the Sabbath day, which it's amazing that everybody wants a vacation, but because it's in God's word, nobody wants it. Right? The the reason the Sabbath is so important is because we all make the fatal mistake of thinking that our jobs provide for us. we provide for ourselves see the sabbath functions to tell us that god provides for us that god is our source and we don't have to work ourselves to death because we trust god and god is a good god but isn't it true we all freak out about this don't we because we don't trust god now that's just guess what that's just the first four of the big ten right but really, each one of these things draws a line in the sand and says, this is right and wrong. This is how life ought to be lived. So first he says, I wouldn't even have known what sin was if it was not for the law. He says, I, I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Now, of course, you know, covetousness, that's the 10th commandment, right? Right. And I think it was Francis of Assisi who said that I've heard thousands of people's confessions that I've never once heard someone confess the sin of covetousness. I mean, when was the last time you went to the Lord like, Lord, I am so covetous? Covetousness is not being content with what God has entrusted to you at this time and really looking upon what God has entrusted to someone else and wanting that. Now you realize all of our advertisement is living in the land of covetousness. It drives you to, look at what someone else has. They're so happy. They're so fit because they drive a car and drink a certain type of beer. That's what it teaches. Right? And you know it's all a big lie, but it's like it's preying on your covetousness. Right? See, I wouldn't even know that covetousness was a sin unless it was in the law. But he says, but, but sin taking occasion by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. Because now what is right and wrong is defined, once you have the definition, then the law functions because it takes occasion because now all of a sudden you're like, oh, look at that. I shouldn't covet, but I really want that. My neighbor's landscaping is so awesome. Why can't I have that landscaping? Oh, I like those shoes. Those look so good on me, better on me than you. Right? It's like the whole thing that goes on. See, sin takes occasion by the commandment and it produces all these desires in us. And it says, for apart from the law, sin was dead. And the idea here is that sin defines what the law is. And he's saying, look, there was a time that I was alive without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And really what Paul is saying here is he's saying, listen, there was a time when I was naive to the gravity of the law. I thought I was doing good. And didn't we all have that moment, like, where you're looking at your life, like, I'm a good person. Like, I'm doing okay. Like, I haven't, you know, gone on a killing spree. And, you know, I haven't, like, you know, ripped off everyone I ever met, just only some of the people I've met. And, you know, you go through all these things and you think to yourself, you're really good. And then all of a sudden, by God's grace, you become aware of the gravity of the mistakes that you've made. Isn't it true? I remember when I came face-to-face with this reality where I say, man, I'm a good person. And I remember when I came face-to-face with Jesus, I said to myself, oh my goodness, I didn't even know how messed up I am. I can't believe I lived that way. I can't believe I thought that that was right. And really, that's exactly what Paul's saying. He's like, listen, I was alive once before I understood what the law really was and how it functioned. But when the commandment came, when my heart grabbed hold of what it really meant, then all of a sudden sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring
1: death. Jesus is... For many people, limitations create a desire to rebel. This may very well be the case for you, and it's one of the reasons why the law of Moses is so hard to follow. The restrictions of the law can create a desire in you to give in to sin. After all, you can't possibly follow it perfectly all the time. Pastor Daniel reminded you today that you're no longer subject to the law if you've been set free by the grace of Jesus. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel Fusco here to
0: tell you about my book, Upward, Inward, and Outward. You've heard me talk about these three directions for living again and again on Jesus is Real Radio, and I think they're so important. I wanted to write a book to explain even more. Upward, Inward, and Outward teaches you the importance of developing a right relationship with God and how that teaches you to love yourself well from those two healthy relationships can spring a well of love for people around you, and that's what transforms our world. Find out more and get your own copy at
1: JesusIsRealRadio.com. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel reminds you that sometimes you just need a new perspective. You've probably heard many truths from the gospel, but you may not have really let the reality of them sink in. Life is messy. There's a lot of noise clouding your thoughts. Join us next time to hear some clear truth from Jesus and learn why it's so much more important than what the world has to say. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called The Secret Sauce. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.